There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. And welcome to the podcast. It's January the 7th, 2021. Uh, Yesterday was quite the historic day in the United States, but there was basketball And we're joined today by uh, a friend of mine from NBA Summer League's past. He played 17 seasons in the NBA, starting with the Kansas City Kings. A lot of people haven't even heard of that team right now. He was the sixth man of the year with the Phoenix Suns in 1989. And today, the Suns TV broadcast analyst, a longtime contributor to HoopsHype.com, and he co-hosts NBA Today Every Monday to Friday, 4 p.m. on Sirius XM Radio. I am so pleased to bring to our podcast Mr. Jumpshot, the hardest working man in show business, Eddie Johnson. Eddie, thanks for joining us today from Phoenix. My pleasure, guys. It's uh it's it's great to have you here. And uh, along with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, the front office of the Ottawa Blackjacks. Eddie, why don't you know we all watched uh the game last night between the Suns and the Raptors, and I got to say what a difference a year makes, or maybe two years. You know, the Suns haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. The Raptors were the champion less than two years ago. You couldn't have, you couldn't have told that last night. What What is it about this Suns team now that's different, that has them in first place in the Western Conference at 62, and people having them as the talk of the town in the NBA? Well, I think it started last year. Uh, it, it started last year with Monty Williams bringing in a new culture uh, and convincing Devin Booker to, I think, really be a patient player in regards to his team offensively and allow them to make the mistakes and then become a, a, a better leader. Uh, and I won't say better leader, just continue to grow as a leader because I think Devin has tried to do that since he's been in the league. Uh, and, you know, you can see glimpses of it last year before the season was discontinued and the pandemic hit. And then we really saw it explode in the bubble. Uh, we saw uh, unselfishness. We saw Devin Booker's desire to really include his teammates. We saw guys improve. And it culminated into an 8-0 record in the bubble. It still wasn't good enough to get them to the playoffs, but they were the talk of the bubble uh, after it all happened. And now you got the short transition from the end of the season to the beginning of this season. And, you know, coaches always used to say to me, and I'm sure he said to you guys as well uh, that played, is they would say what you did the year prior can carry forward to the next year. And that's what we're seeing with mm-hmm. the Suns. And now you add Chris Paul, one of the ultimate leaders and one of the top players in the history of the game at the point guard position to this ball club, you can see the growth immediately. And uh, that's what we're in right now. Uh, it's amazing how uh, experience and a one player can change the outlook for a team. And that's what we're seeing with the Phoenix Suns. You know, before we even go any further, I, I have to put it on record that I, I mentioned on the previous, when we were doing the season preview uh, to these guys, that Phoenix would be a playoff team. And they all laughed at me. Or you know, just just thinking that for this this team going from from last or you know, I had the Suns playoffs. No, oh my goodness, we have to go, have to go back minutes. and check. We have to go back and check this. They laughed at me for for this turnaround or soon. I'll admit it, boys. I left. I left. I left the Suns off. My I had the Suns in the playoffs all the way. <laughs> but 
But Eddie, you touched on the impact of a Chris Paul has on a team, and I, you know, I was curious. You know, you obviously have a bit more insight. Um, how do you think that's going to develop, or how do you think those two are going to be able to coexist? Because on on at some capacity, you know, uh, CP hasn't always been able to play along with stars because he demands the ball a bit much, but. Um, on the other end of it, I've seen where his mentorship and his his leadership has paid dividends for players. Even just last year with with a, a Canadian Shea Gilgis Alexander, um, but I see I, I think it's going to be you know monumental for the growth of those young guys over there because I think that was just the missing piece. But you know, just from what from your insight. Yeah, well, Javon, I'll tell you. I mean, I think you know Chris Paul has proven that the ball should be in his hand. I mean, you know. In the history of the game, I mean, some things are proven. You, you know this. As a basketball player, you know, you have to prove yourself. For me, as an example, I mean, my second year in the NBA, I had to prove that I was worthy of taking 16, 17 shots a game. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to convince your teammates to do. So what you convince them is you do what? Make buckets. <laughs> what they so, and Chris Paul, what did he do? Well, he, he put dimes out there. He made the game easy for people. Uh, you know, he did it in New Orleans. Uh, go all the way back to Wake Forest. He did it in college. He did it in New Orleans. Uh, you know, he did it with the Clippers, even though he got some pushback from two young stars and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, he goes to the Rockets, and he, he got he really got pushed back from James Harden. You can call him the right. dribble. And then James Harden, that's why he struggled, because he doesn't want to give in. No, Chris Paul is that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And he proved it again going to Oklahoma City uh, and, and taking them. No one picked them to make the playoffs last year. Uh, right. He thought it was just really just a stopgap for him that he would get traded. And lo and behold, they honestly should have beaten the Rockets in the first round of the playoffs in the bubble. So, no, the ball should be in his hands. And I think Devin Booker understands that. Uh, he has no issue with it. Devin's still getting his numbers. You still look up, he's getting his 24, 25 points a game. But here's the difference. See, They're winning. That, so that's see, the difference. And I think Devin's cool with that. See, you're giving us a little of, that, little of that old school mentality because you have that same – I remember I had – AR, I don't remember if you if you played that summer, but um, Kelvin Sampson, Coach Sampson, mm-hmm. who, you know, legendary himself. But I remember I him there. saying yep, to me, yep. yep. I remember him saying to me one day, basketball isn't equal opportunity, son. And it hit home because I like I wanted to do my thing. But the reality was you had some other guys on the team that, you know, they're they were more accomplished. They're proven. Yeah, you have to earn your way. Exactly. And it, it, it was real. It was, it was he was transparent and that never it didn't waver in how he treated me that or or any of the other players. It's like, okay, when you get your opportunity, you have to prove it. So, you know, just given that you guys are coming from from that that mentality, um, you know, it's, it's refreshing to hear because it, I think it's as real as it gets yeah. as well as it, it allows players to understand what's in front of them, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you don't like it, leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay, all right. Yeah, that's, that's the mentality right now, and it should be that way. Uh, unfortunately, like for a guy like James Harden who had Chris Paul, and I think if he had given in to him and let him handle the ball, uh, more and then maybe guide that team, especially in their struggles when they couldn't make shots. Uh, we'd be talking about now a different Rocket team. James Harden wouldn't be wanting to be traded and all those things. Uh, so he needs to look in the mirror with that because I think he had a tremendous teammate in Chris Paul that could have elevated his team to the next level. How do you see when you're when you're looking at the game today? I'm probably going off on a tantrum right now, but I got to I got to soak all the knowledge up that I can get. When you're looking at the NBA today. And you're comparing it to the NBA of the past. What are what are the glaring differences you see? For me, I I, I hate that you know guys that, or teams are just the offenses are just three three point line to three point line. Well, you and I, you, yeah, you and I have the same boat. I mean, a- analytics has changed the game. Uh-huh. Uh, analytical people don't like me. I don't give a rat's ass. Do not. You know, this is my game too. It's not their game. By the fact, they weren't even born when I was playing. So, you know, they're trying to take something that was mine first. Uh, I don't have I don't have a problem with taking threes, uh, but I have a problem with that being the bulk of your offense because I think it's most losing eventually because it's the most difficult shot to take. 
uh, they have somehow convinced people that a mid-range shot is the most difficult because you got a hand in your face. Well, a hand in your face forces you to concentrate and really you become a better shooter. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, it, most of them didn't play. So how would they know? Uh, so that's always my comeback to them. Uh, they did what they had to do to get in the positions that they have within basketball. They're highly looked at and thought of, and that's fine. Do what you need to do to get in. I don't hate them for that. But that doesn't mean I have to abide by how their rules go. And uh, I think that right there is the one that just bothers me. Uh, mm-hmm. Dallas Mavericks last year were promoting all year that they had the best offense uh, in so many years in the NBA. I'm like, really? Seriously? Because you take a ton of threes? You think it's cute? <laughs> a 7-4 count and should have his ass in the paint? I mean, there's stuff like that that – you know, that, that gets on my nerves. Uh, but, look, if you're making threes and, and you're moving the ball like the Suns did last night against Toronto, I have no issue with taking threes. I mean, mm-hmm. you watched the Suns game last night, I would probably say 95% of their threes were wide open. Mm-hmm. I have no issue with that. that that's beautiful basketball. But when you dribbling the ball down the court, like a lot of these guys do, and James Harden is the biggest culprit of it, and he's dribbling the ball for 22 seconds, and then he shoots a three, he didn't dissect anything else. He didn't know if he could have gotten a layup for somebody. He didn't know if he could have gotten Eric Gordon coming off a down screen. He didn't even really look at those things. He was really pretty much going to build into him either getting to the rim, and if he didn't have a shot to throw it out to a guy at his knees or whatever with two seconds to go to take a three, or he was going to just basically shoot the three. And to me, that's, that's not winning basketball. I haven't seen a team win like that. And I know people will say, well, Golden State did. Golden State was a mid-range team that built out to a three-point team. They ran their offense from the mid-post, okay? That's what they did. They, and, and, and let me say this. They got the three best shooters on that particular two, two teams that they did to win the title, probably in the history of the game. And Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson, all right? So, yeah, if you, if you feel like you can match them and shoot. Yeah. Talk that talk, old school. <laughs> that is uh, Andy Robbins here. Uh, you know, as a guy who's who's made a living behind the three point line, I find. Well, you don't want me to see you. You don't want me to see you or something. Oh no, it's, you know, my audio is better. My internet's you know not up to snuff with these guys. Oh, so, okay, all right. Yeah, well, it's all good. Like your dad, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, he's a lot better looking than I am. He didn't give me those jeans, man. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit ironic for me to be talking about anything with post-presence, but I wanted to allude to your, your former number one draft pick, DeAndre Ayton, uh, who seems to be the, the defensive anchor on a team, you know, that's leading the West right now. He seems to be a huge contributing factor to your early success this year. Um, how good is he already, and what's his ceiling looking like for you guys? 22 years old. Uh, he's mm-hmm. still a work in progress. I think mm-hmm. the sky's the limit for him. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that he has to continue to improve in. Uh, historically big guys because they were so much bigger than kids when they were growing up in the game. They were always cognizant of maybe not hurting kids, like mm-hmm. called dental giants. Uh, mm-hmm. Will Chamberlain once talked about that himself as he was a dental giant because he was so much stronger than other kids. He really didn't want to hurt them. And you all have been to the little bitty leagues and parents in there, oh, little Johnny. <laughs> and, you know, they don't care if we travel and all that. And then they're always adverse to the real big kid and they're gangster and they're little kids. Well, that's, that's the mentality that these big guys grow up with. And sometimes it's hard to shake it. And I think that's what DeAndre right now is going through uh, in, in terms of his physicality. Uh, just really, like, really going through guys instead of just trying to go above him, as he's always done his entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to take on that little mentality, a little bit of Shaquille O'Neal, that Shaq just trying to hurt you. And I think he's building toward that. Uh, I truly do. And I think, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to continue to really work on him to push him there. But he's 22 years old. But, yes, uh, he is the key to our team defensively. Uh, and uh, he had a good game last night in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think despite all that, he's still a 20 and 10 guard. Sorry? I said, despite all of that, he's still a 20 and 10 guy. Well, he can get a double double in his sleep. I say it on the I say this on on the telecast. Uh, you know, I think I think Suns fans like, well, dang, Eddie, you know, he had a double double. He should be able to get a double double in his sleep. Just think about it. You see how many bricks are thrown up now in today's game because of the three point shooting? I mean, back when I played. 
you could even walk in the GM's office and ask for a contract if you weren't shooting 48% of <laughs> Now guys get 80 million, shoot 40%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a different animal. But then again, because of the way that they play, there's a lot of opportunities for rebounds. And if you're a big guy, even if you can't rebound out of your area, you're still going to be able to get 10 rebounds if you're playing 30 minutes a game. So I'm not jumping up and down for that. Uh, in, in terms of the two games that they run, he's on a team with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. He should be able to get 10 points plus easy. So a double-double for DeAndre Ayton is not as impactful as it is for someone else. Uh, and I think he understands that. It's been beating his head enough that we're not jumping up and down by the fact that he just gets a, 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 a double-double. We need more. We need 15 to 20 rebounds, right? We, we, need, we need combustion in the paint. We need all those things first because we do know that's going to lead to winning and having a chance to win a championship. EJ, I, uh, I watched your telecast last night. I uh, loved watching <laughs> you and Kay Ray and, and of course, my, uh, my old friend, producer Bob Adlock. Uh, one thing that you said about Devin Booker really stood out for me, and, and you've seen him score 71 points in a game before. And you said something to the effect of, we used to know when he when he had was scoring points, and last night against uh, the Toronto Raptors, he had twenty five, and it, it seemed like it snuck up on you because yeah. it was maybe a, a bit more quiet. What, what what exactly do you mean now by his scoring? He scores twenty five, but you almost don't even know because he's scoring within the flow of the offense. It's not a lot of one on one stuff, even though he's very good one on one. But when you're going one on one all the time, then all eyes are on you. Like, like the beauty of, of, of guys that played off the ball in the history of this game, you can look in the box score and you're like, hey, you had 30? Where did that come from? And I try to tell young players, is this a way you can trick your teammates too in playing this game? Like for me, I get up 22 shots and I get in the locker room after the game and guys are like, you got it up 22 times? I didn't even see that. I said, the reason you didn't see it, is because those 22 shots really only took up probably maybe 15 seconds of the game. Because I was basically doing all my work off the ball. And when I and caught they, they, I they got also it. They couldn't say anything because you had 30 right. at the end of the game, too. Exactly. <laughs> so they, they couldn't count the amount of shots I took because I wasn't out there isolated, dribbling, going one on one. That's when it gets selfish. And I think Devin has really, he, he, he's, He's really grabbed onto that concept. He's very good playing off the ball, moving into his shot. Now, also, he's very good on the ball. He gets those opportunities as well. But it's not as, like, aggressive as it has been in the past. And so now it just seems like, you know, he's just in the flow. And then on top of that, it helps him because now defenses can't really gear toward him because they're not really in tune to what he's doing because – all eyes aren't on him because he has the ball at the top of the key in his hands. So that's what he's figuring out. And uh, scoring is a science, and, and he's figured out the science of the game. Shep, you're up. Oh, I was talking while it was on, while I was on mute. Eddie, tell me something. I know we're talking, we can talk for days about hoops and we're probably going to get back to it, but I want to know what that transition was like when you left playing and got into the the broadcast and into the studio and got into the booth. Cause you got a lot of shit to you. You got a lot of wisdom and, and you're not afraid to spit it. So, you know, give us some gems there. Cause a lot of us here are in the same realm um, right. entering and, and just, you know, some advice there, some, some studio talk. Yeah, you know, Javon, I, you know, I, I, I had reached really a, a roadblock in really what I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe the last four or five years of my career, I believe in life you have to segue to your next career. You just don't just wake up one morning and say you want to do it. Uh, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago, man. I, I had to segue my entire life. Uh, I had to figure out a different route to school every day mm-hmm. because if I didn't. I was going to encounter gangbangers. So I had, I was always, my head was always on a swivel growing up in the, in, in the inner city. And so because of that, I think I, I applied that to my life. 
It's like, you know, I'm never going to get caught with my guard down. I'm always going to be prepared. And if I want to do something, I'm going to be ahead of everybody else that decides that they want to do it. Uh, That's going to give me the advantage. And so in my NBA career, it got to the point probably halfway through, I started to think about, okay, what are you going to do after? And it was either going to coaching uh, or it was either, you know, going to TV or Mm -hmm. go go to law school. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to go to law school when I first uh, left and, and got to the NBA, but and I studied the LSAT, and I had a lot of people really pushing me at the University of Illinois to really accomplish this. And lo and behold, Cotton Fitzsimmons, my second year, started playing me like 40 freaking minutes a game. I mean, <laughs> like, there's no way I'm going to be able to go back home and, and be able to concentrate and try to do this in the summertime. And that's what they were trying to set me up to do. So I gave that up. And I said, well, you know, I love to talk still. That's why I wanted to be a lawyer. I said, why not transition to, to radio and television if I don't decide to coach? And so what I did, I started taking internships. Uh, every summer after the season, uh, I would go to New York. The NBA would set it up for me. Uh, I would just do different internships at radio stations, uh, different things in NBA entertainment, uh, just to build up my resume tapes. And so then uh, towards the really tail end of my career, I said, I'm going to jump into TV right now. Forget about, you know, wait till I'm done. So I started doing WNBA games uh, right. during the season. I started doing uh, Phoenix Mercury games and traveling with them. So basically I came home after the season and I was right there, you know, traveling again doing WNBA games. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got that resume tape built up, met my people out there on the, on the road and, then my last my last two years in the league, uh, Indiana and Houston, uh, I had my own radio show uh, and uh, had a little TV hit. So I was just talking, man. I was just really working on my game. And then along the way, I'm talking to people I admired, like Hubie Brown, uh, uh, Doug Collins, who were two of my favorite, uh, Bill Walton, Steve Jones, uh, guys like that that won national broadcasts and and just picking up little nuances from them. And when I retired, man, I did uh, – I, 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 I had so many resume tapes, right? So now I'm armed. I'm not one – I wasn't one of them guys go knocking on the door and say, please, can I do this? No, no, no. I came from a, a, a point of stress. Whereas when I went to ASU and they were like, well, okay, well, Eddie, what have you done? Oh, uh, boom. Here they are. Hmm. Here they are. So now you can't jive me with money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so I did ASU, and then the Phoenix Suns called the next year, and I've been doing Suns games for 20 years. Uh, but you know, I've I've done TNT stuff. I had an opportunity with ESPN. I just didn't want to travel, man. I I, I couldn't see myself going back and forth to Bristol every week from Phoenix, uh, and so I bypassed on it. I had coaching opportunities. Uh, my good friend Isaiah Thomas wanted me to go to Indiana with him when he got the Pacers job and and offered me a good contract, man. But I looked at my kids and I looked at Isaiah and I'm like, I'm not leaving my kid. And I decided to stay home and, and take the son's opportunity. Been there 20 years. And now I got one of the top radio shows, the Sirius XM, uh, NBA Today show. So I'm good, man. I mean, I, I work so at home. You know, so you know we're going to be connected from here on out, right? You do know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, as long as, no, as long as you know, as long as no. you know. Uh, look, let me tell you something. <laughs> this guy sticks. Yeah, ASU has uh, Walter Cronkite Broadcast School here, and I'm I'm a fixture over there. I, right. You got to get back, man. I mean, people right. want to do what you want to do. They want advice, uh, a way to do it. Uh, you know, you have to be available. So no, no problem. EJ, I see. Uh, I see a lot of similarities with, with you and Javon. To be honest with you, men of many hats, you know, and very well prepared <laughs> with, with big resumes. So we appreciate that uh, that perspective and that wisdom. I want to talk a little bit about EJ, the player. I, I got to know, you know, scoring almost twenty thousand points in your career. There's only thirty people ahead of you that have scored more points that are inducted to the Hall of Fame. And you know, having not been selected you know, to an NBA NBA All Team uh, All Star team, does that still rub you the wrong way? you know, maybe not having received the accolades that, that you deserve? And this being a two-part question, you know, with mm-hmm. the NBA living and dying by the three, and you being the sharpshooter that you were, you know, how do you think your career would have looked different playing in today's league? 
Yeah, you, you, the last question has bothered me there because that probably cost uh-huh. about two hundred million. They would have locked him up. They would have locked him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah locked him up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you know, look, guys, I, you know, I was blessed though, man. I was blessed to get to the league. I, I don't really hold any grudges other than mm-hmm. with my mom. I told her why did she, you know, why did she give in to dad so soon? But other than that. <laughs> Uh, I don't have any grudges, man. I was so blessed to make the league. Uh, mm-hmm. I got into the league in the 80s when, you know, a lot of a few teams, the team I joined, had a, you know, they were getting ready to go under uh, pretty much. Uh, but Magic and Bird saved it. Uh, but, man, I, you know, I had a tremendous career. Uh, I, when I did retire from the league, I was the all-time, I was the 22nd all-time league scorer in the history of the game. I think if I had won a title uh, in that period, uh, when I did retire, <clears throat> I went to the conference finals four times. Then I think I would have got, I would be in the Hall of Fame right now. But mm-hmm. I think because of that, uh, that's hurt me. Uh, but that's fine. I, I, I know what I did. I know where I stood. I know in my 17 years, I was, I left the, I left the game as the 22nd highest score and, and a guy that mm-hmm. shot 48%. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't a guy that, that's incredible. that did not shoot poorly. And yeah. so, I know I did my job, and, mm-hmm. and so I let other people decide what they think in that mm-hmm. regard. But uh, all I know, man, when I played, I was a killer. Ain't nobody <laughs> stop me. So, well, you know, they say what they want, but ain't yeah. nobody, can't nobody ever get in front of a camera and say they shut me down. Yep, yep. And, uh, you, you know, a couple of guys here who have made a living, you know, across the pond. You see you make that transition in 94 and 95 playing in, in Olympiacos, uh, you know, 22 points per game in EuroLeague, which is no easy task. As you know, those boys out there, they play physical. They play, it's a lot more different than, you know, the NBA style of defense. Uh, you know, speaking of that, majority of the guys who played in the NBA in Europe can say that, you know, the defense is more aggressive, more t- team oriented and physical. How would you compare the defense in 94 and 95 uh, in Europe compared to the NBA? Well, my experience in, in, in Greece was mm-hmm. probably one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful uh, people out there in Athens. I wish I had stayed. You know, the only reason I, the only reason I came back to the NBA, really, was because my son, uh, mm-hmm. he was having a hard time adjusting, but I should have really force-fed him and made him stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So if I had to do it over again, I definitely probably would still be there. I have a great relationship with the Olympiacos organization still to this mm-hmm. day. Uh, they not hesitated in bringing me to wherever they are to watch games, where it's the Euro Championships or back to Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that connection is still there. Uh, and my connection with the people is still there. Uh, uh, a high percentage of my followers are from Greece, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we communicate all the time. Well, they're friends uh, for life. Yeah, oh man, I know for a fact if I told them I was coming there, I'm sure I would have a huge strong at the airport. That's that's just a connection that I developed there. I loved it, man. I mm-hmm. I love the team that we were on. We got within one game of winning Euroleague, uh, and but Sabonis had something to say about it. Uh, Wait, did, uh, you guys lost to uh, Real Madrid, no? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 Sabonis was still Sabonis. And uh, that's passing big all the time. He, he was too much for us, but yeah, but just to get that far and the first year I was there was just simply amazing, man. Just mm-hmm. living over there and, and just you know seeing a different country, experiencing everything, and can't believe I, I would go without television for that long, <laughs> uh, and and eat, and drink warm water and eat spaghetti for pregame and. Yep. Yeah. All those things, man. I mean, I miss it. I truly do. Uh, I miss it. You, you appreciate the nuances, the small things in life in Europe. I feel. Yeah. Like. Did, do you think you enjoyed the atmosphere in playing in Europe more than you did in the NBA? Yeah, it was different. Obviously, my yeah. first game there, by the fact, uh, it was in uh, Poloniki. I think. I think uh, okay. yeah, it was. It was uh, Paul. Was it Paul? Uh, yeah, and it was up north in northern Greece, and I might be getting my directions wrong here, but. Uh, I walk out to warm up. Like, I'm thinking you can do it any game. You know, I'm walking out there, and this, and they, 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 it's already packed, like an hour and a half before the game. And they're singing yeah. the songs, and they start calling me names. I didn't understand what they were saying at the time. And, and, and then you got Malaka. Malaka. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was obviously the first words. Uh, but, 
uh, I go out there to warm up, and I don't care about them screaming and going at me. That's just going to pump me up. And I'm warming up, and then out of nowhere, uh, something hits me, and hit me right below my eye. And it hurt. And that's thing I know, I got blood going down my face. And, and, you know, the team looks at me, and they like, uh-oh. So I walk in the locker room, and they probably thought I was getting ready to quit. Now, I'll fast forward back. Uh, about four games before that, I got an introduction. Uh, we were playing a friendly game, and I felt some water. I was taking the ball out of bounds, and I felt like liquid hit me on the back of my neck. And I'm like, and I turn around, and this dude was like leaning over, and he was spitting on me. Right, yeah. and so now sounds about you. I'm like, that can't work. <laughs> so I had the ball in my right hand. I literally grabbed the back of his head, and I smashed his face. In <laughs> Any repercussions from the ref? And blood was all. He started bleeding. I gave the ball to the referee. He wiped it off, and we played. I ran into that same guy. He bought me lunch. He loved the fact that I bust his nose. I was like, <laughs> really? So fast forward back to the future again, I get cut and they like, he gonna leave. He's a cause it was NBA teams that wanted me back. Uh and I'm like, no. I said, what are y'all talking about? They was all worried. I said, man, stitch me up. <laughs> I, from Chicago, I told him, I said, do you all understand that I got shot at four or five times growing up? I got robbed at gunpoint. I said, if this is the worst thing that can happen, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> okay, so I go out and start playing, and next thing I know in the first quarter, I'm killing because I'm pissed off, right? And coins still flying every now and then, but I, you didn't hurt me once. The second punch is not going to hurt. So uh, I'm at the free throw line and a doorknob flies past my head. And I'm like... A doorknob is a new one. I haven't heard that before. I left. I literally just started... I dropped the ball (laughs) and right then and there, Greece loved me because they... I accepted how they were and I laughed about it. And after that, I probably maybe had one incident. They never threw at me anymore. Uh, I saw them on the street. They loved me. I mean, it was I, all I had to do was blend into their culture. And, and that's what I did. I didn't do it from knowledge. I just did it because I've always blended in. I mean, like that, because that's how I was raised. And they loved it, man. And to this day, I have fans from different teams over there now. And so, yeah, I always tell people about that, man. That, that is a unique experience. Well, we uh, we know you're a killer on the court in Europe. You were definitely a killer on the court in the NBA for 17 seasons. And I know you were a killer during a game called Dueling Homers during Summer League uh, that I was lucky enough to produce with you and Brevin Knight a couple years uh, down there in Vegas, that was a great time. Right. I was a scorekeeper too, so you were kind of going after me a little bit. That's because <laughs> you know we couldn't have you win both years, so you know we rearranged the score a little bit. Um, Eddie, uh, I, we're going to get you out of here with this one last question. And I want to go back to the Suns, and I just want to ask you what are the realistic expectations for the Suns team this year? What is it in the regular season? What is it in the playoffs? What would be a satisfactory season for a team that has not been to the playoffs for 10 years, but certainly has bigger expectations now? I think anything less than a number five seed in the West is a disappointment. I think they're that good. And trust me, I would never put that on this organization. Uh, I've seen it. I've been there for 20 years. I threw the good and the bad. Uh, And I would never even talk like that, like this team could make the playoffs if I didn't believe it. They're good. They are good. Uh, And how good they can become is up to them as the season goes along. This next East Coast trip here is going to be important for them. 
but uh, I think the fifth seed, and I think a team that could potentially, uh, if they can get the fifth seed, then they can be the fourth seed in the first round. And, and that's that's my that's to me is the short term goal for this team is to at least be a, a team that can get to the second round of the playoffs and finish with a high seed. Nice, great. I mean, great answer. If they could be a top eight in the league, that's pretty good considering where they've come from after many, uh, you know, down years. Eddie Johnson, we are so grateful that you took the time to join us today. Thank you for your your candor and your just your amazing basketball answers. I could listen to you talk ball all day, and I think I will at four o'clock today on Sirius XM. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always combustion when I'm on that show with this <laughs> that I do the show with. But yeah, we had we had a great show, and uh, yeah, you all should take a look at it because it is combustible, and it's going to be a little combustible today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> all okay, right. good. Well, we're looking forward to it, and we'll listen to it. All Thank right. you so much, okay. Eddie. All right, Thanks, Thanks, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Stay safe now. All right, all right. Yeah. we'll talk to you later. Okay. Okay. Uh, all our thanks to, uh, to EJ out there in Arizona. You know, uh, a shout out also to our sponsor, Henderson Brewery. Uh, the best beer is the beer you love. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just want to get into this date in Raptors history. I know I was there. January 8, 2016, DeMar DeRozan scores 35 the Raptors beat the Wizards in Washington, 97-88. This is their second straight win, kickstarting what will be an 11-game win streak. That sets the franchise record at the time. It's also the third straight win over the Wizards, who had swept Toronto in the first round of the playoffs just the year before. So there was a lot of payback um, at that point. And, of course, the Raptors would move on to the conference finals in the East that year. That was the first year we really saw some of the potential that would lead into the 2019 NBA championship. That's this state in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there, by the way, check us out online at Jim rats podcast, Twitter and Instagram. Listen to us, review us, rate us and tell your friends about this show. Okay. We are going to get into some Raptors discussion now. Tough loss to the Suns in Phoenix. They have a road trip out west. I don't know that it gets much easier. They have the Sacramento Kings coming up, but then the Warriors who have improved. Um, Shep, Andy, what is going on with the Raptors right now? They're one in six. Shep, what are you looking at that they could possibly do to turn things around? You know what? I I think with where the Raptors are concerned, you know, the, the the core unit that they have has actually worked against them because in previous years, you know, the same core group has been able to close out games. That's been a, a staple for them, a strong suit for them as well as they've been able to score at will when they needed to. Um, so I, I still think from a confidence standpoint, you know, they came into the season with that mentality of, okay, we, we can get it done regardless. The reality is um, it's not the same team, right? And they don't have the pieces that they had before. Uh, and the things aren't going to play out like that. I think a big part of it is Pascal has to be more aggressive. And not just Pascal, but Pascal and OG. You know, these guys can't just be running three-point line to three-point line. Their strengths are in their athleticism, their length. You know, they have pesky guards. This has to be a defensive-minded team more than anything. And they create some of their offense from their defense. This had, you know, the half court that they're playing and, and just, you know, jacking up threes or, you know, guys playing out of their their positions or, or their, their strong suit, so to say, it isn't working. I think, you know, the they're not playing at home and so forth has been that the novelty of that's worn off. That's been an escape goal. These guys are competitors, and that's that's over now. Maybe one or two games, but when you get into six and seven, no, that's not an excuse anymore. So, um, you know, I think it's a mindset that has to be shifted, and, and maybe some adjustments from Nurse. Chef, do, do you think that there's there's something now beyond? Um, the fundamental aspects on the court, playing strategy. Is there something 
mental that's starting to creep in that that maybe hits when you're one and six when you're struggling you know Siakam looked like he had he wasn't necessarily focused in compared to what we've seen from him in the past he had a really nice game against Phoenix but is there are there things in their mind is there a lack of confidence um that's going to dig itself in and really affect how how the team performs I think this is where you separate the boys from the men because, um, you know, the confidence can't be wavering that much. You're an athlete, you're paid, you're a professional, you're paid to play this game and one, you love this game. So you would have invested and dedicated yourself to get you out of whatever hole that you're in. And I, I thought, you know, it's just not the, the six losses or whatever the case may be, but this team wasn't a confident group since the beginning of the season. So, and I think that that has to be a mentality shift. I, in fact, I think your most confident guys are, Kyle, an aging Kyle, and he can't be he can't be weathering everything. The confidence for the team, points, rebounds, the playmaking. Um, steady Freddie gets that name because he, he he's steady. Like he's able to get himself when he's low. He's able to you know control himself when he's high. And I think the next most confident confident player on the team is is Watanabe. Um, and that's a guy that's probably wasn't even supposed to play, but you know, the rest of the guys they they have to make a choice right now and and dedicate themselves and devote themselves to. Um, not only performing or producing better individually, but collectively as a team, because now it's it's unacceptable. This is not a one in what is it one in six or one in seven one in seventeen, despite losing the the the, the, the talent that they have. Well, yeah, well, I mean one in one in six at the moment. Um, you know, Andy Routens. I worked with your dad, Leo Routens, for almost twenty years, and one thing we always talked about in discussing basketball was big men on the floor and the Raptors in the championship year, um, the bubble season where I thought they were still a terrific team. They had Serge Ibaka, they had Marcus Gasol, and these players had huge resonance on the offensive end and on the defensive end. They're gone. They've been replaced by a couple of journeymen, Aaron Baines, Alex Len, what can these two new faces on the roster and on the floor, what aren't they doing? What can they do within reasonable expectations that can somewhat replicate or at least give them some production that was lost by losing Ibaka and Gasol? Uh, you know, I think I've come to present the term journeyman just because, you know, that's how a lot of people would have. <laughs> Describe my career in a nutshell, but you know, I think they're great replacements in some way. Now, no doubt, no doubt. I think they're they're both great players, respectively. Um, you know, as they are in the league, but you know, I, I think the fact that they gave up on Serge too soon, you know, they weren't really willing to renegotiate his contract. Um, you know, in in trying to salvage something with Marcus All as well, I think if they tried to make him their prime piece, you know, over the summer, that this would be this would be an entirely different situation. You know, Serge was really coming into his prime. He was finding his game. He was playing in rhythm. Uh, he finally felt comfortable here in Toronto, you know, especially after, you know, getting a championship and his relationship with Masai. So uh, it, it's interesting to see, you know, how, how the, the, the front court is just kind of, you know, dissipated. Um, but as far as what, what they can do is, is you know, you, you just have to get in. You, know, you have who you have at this point. You know, I think that, um, you know, trade, trade, you know, it's going to be limited what you can do in a trade window. Um, you know, you just have to get these guys acclimated to the system, which which Nick Nurse is no doubt doing all that he can to do right now. So it's watching a lot of film. You know, it's getting these guys on the same page and getting their chemistry together. As you, you know, Kyle Lowry mentioned before, there's no swagger, there's no confidence. You know, they just seem to be missing. And, and you know, the feeling that they took from the bubble seems to have carried over to this beginning part of the season. You know, much like the Suns who went eight zero in the bubble, you know, they carried that over to a hot start here because they had that confidence carry over. Um, and the Raptors kind of seem to be holding on to that, you know, distaste for losses and, and not really finding their way. So, you know, there's no doubt that the front court is a huge piece to that, especially with Gasol being, you know, that quarterback back there. So, um, you know, you're just going to have to watch a lot of film. You're going to have to really understand your role and, and know how, how you fit in with the team. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But there's no doubt that I, in my mind that Nick Nurse is doing all that he can. I think just to follow up on on AR there, I think, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see more from the team is just being deliberate in their actions, whether it be offensively or defensively. Um, and, and, you know, you talked about Baines and Len. 
I think you have to start small. Like these guys have to do things that are the little things right now to get rhythm, rebounds, deflections, you know, get a couple steals here and there. Um, you know, neither one of them are going to be shot blockers, but be, can, you know, contest guys, use verticality, contest guys at the rim and have an impact some way. Uh, without that, it's really hard to get going because neither one are going to be our off big time offensive threats. So it's going to have dive on a loose ball, you know, earn yourself some minutes, earn yourself some confidence and feel that you're a part of the game, a part of the rhythm of the team. And I think that goes far beyond just them, but even on, on from like the perimeter at it. I agree. Great. Pascal played great last night. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking at what's happened, this, they've been picked apart by, you know, perimeter players and Brandon Ingram, DeMar DeRozan, um, uh, who am I missing there? Um, Tatum. You know, that's an opportunity for one of these, one of the perimeter guys to step up and say, no, this is enough's enough, right? This is work too early in the season for that. And just get going from there. Let's, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the challenge. The next perimeter guy that's up next, I'm locking that down. Mm-hmm. And that, if I only score 10 points that night, at least I know I impacted this game. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I just don't see the grit and the hunger of the championship team. You know, I think there's something to be said for losing pieces, uh, you know, for the dynamic changing in the locker room, but there's really no excuse for, for playing hard. And I think that Fred's alluded to that multiple times. Um, you know, the culture of the Raptors is, 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 is defense first and foremost. And I think that those guys, you know, it, it's tough to get used to a new system, you know, especially without a training camp. So, you know, hopefully in time, these guys will get acclimated and adjust. And I think that's the only way out is through. I, I, I hear what you guys are saying. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to disagree with anything that you're saying. And I think they need to do all those things. They do need to dive for loose balls. They need to get acclimated. They need to watch film. But I also just don't know that the talent is there. Um, we know there's some players with championship pedigree, Lowry, obviously, Van Vliet, Siakam. Um, but I'm looking at the other teams, the teams that they're playing, and I'm just I'm seeing a little bit more talent. And whatever Aaron Baines or Alex Len does or learns or adds in terms of effort and hustle in the coming weeks and months, there is not a replacement for Marcus Gasol as the quarterback on defense. Andy, you, you use the word quarterback, and I think he is, and I think it was, it was an underrated part of what he contributed in his you know, season and a half, and especially during the, the title run in 2019. I, I think the the Raptors are being out talented right now, and I think that is affecting possibly their um, approach in terms of effort. You know, Shep- well, I'll, I'll I'll trump that. I'll trump that <laughs> because great, you maybe maybe outweighed outweighed in in the area of talent, but at the same time, your com- that means your compete level has to be ten times more than your opponent. Then, right? And I think we've all we've all been around sports long enough to know that. Or hear of, or have heard the saying that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So, I think where that's concerned, it's it's null and void if these guys collectively come on, come out and and, and produce and and co- together have some togetherness, have some camaraderie, and compete together at a high level. I mean, I don't see if you're not playing LeBron or any of the KD or these super teams at this at the end of the day, like it's not that big of a disparity in terms of talent, if you're, if you're going to go out there and compete. So uh, you're going to have to throw them really, yeah, I, I thought, on the ground. I thought Phoenix had a lot more talent last night. I, I don't know that um, Phoenix out-hustled the Raptors so much, but I know that they had 30 assists. They hit 21 three-point shots. At, as Eddie Johnson said earlier in, in our podcast today, 95... Is New York, is New York a talented team? New York? Uh, that's a team that's not working hard. Oh, but that's the that's, that's the, a, sorry. That's a team that's working hard and has that that Tibbs mentality now. So okay, I, now I see what you're saying. Okay, Chef, that was a good. They have some. Right. They have some young that's that's really hungry right now. And you know, I, yeah, I think the Raptors have a bit more talent. And than, hold on, they also have some guys that they haven't had their big payday yet, so they're they're still hungry. They're not full yet. That's that that plays a big part now. But, what, okay. but what, what, this goes back to, to stopping people. They, they shot the ball really well last night, but their MO has always been defense. Teams used to be afraid of them because they switched defenses so often. They couldn't figure them out. That was the MO around the league is that you know, the Raptors always have 
and ace in the back pocket. And I just don't think that they've gotten on the same page in terms of that. And when, once they do, I think they'll be a different team. Okay. Yeah, I also see, you know, maybe you can see a reunion with uh, Rondé Howard Jefferson here. You know, a guy who brings rebounding, intensity, you know, gets up and down the floor and can lock up one through four. Uh, he's a free agent right now. You know, might be interested to look at bringing him back as well. Bring him back over, huh? I just, I just, I don't think they're going to be that different. I, I think one and six is a bit of an indication. It is an indication of what this team is and, and what we're going to see. And, and that leads me to, to, to what I want to ask you next, Shep. You know, you're a general manager now of the Ottawa Blackjacks of the CEBL. And we're all looking forward to seeing what, what moves you're going to make in that slot. I want to put you in the shoes of Masai Ujiri right now. Um, you're seven games in. You're not. Your team is not performing the way you want, and maybe some moves need to be made in, in order to adjust things or to have a chance at competing this season. Shep, put, you're Masai Ujiri right now. What what kind of things are you looking into doing in terms of shaping the roster to be more competitive? I think, first of all, you know, there needs to be a team. They rally this team together, have a team meeting, and just understand that, hey, guys, you know, this is sports. You're not going to be a winning team every year. So I understand that from coming from this, this space that we're all in. But, again, I need to see the effort from everybody. I need to see collectively that we, we're trying to win. Collectively, we're trying to improve. And if that's not there, then it's next man up. Like, we have to make changes. We have to move guys out of here that aren't committed to that because – you know, this team has had some dark years and they, they, they don't necessarily need to go back there. I don't think they're, they're close to going back there so long as they have the guys, so long as they have guys with the right, the right mentality. Um, does that come with experience? Maybe so, because I think that's some of the biggest things that this, the Raptors team lost with Gasol and, and, um, and Ibaka. So, you know, given that, I, I, yeah, I would, I would start to look on the market and see what's out there if these guys aren't committed to the process and just in, in showing some effort. And I wouldn't just jump out there and grab a James Harden. My thing is, you know, show me some guys that are proven and show me some guys that know how to win, win basketball games. And I think that is, is where I would, the direction I would go. But, I, you know, there's still time. It's, it's early in the season. It's still early in the season. I, I, that's a, it's a dangerous term or da- dangerous way to look at it because before you know it, you're midway through the season. So you have to tread light with that. But, guys, like, you, you got to dive on the loose ball. We're not a talented team. you got to take a charge. you got to throw an elbow. Um, you know, Pascal, you have to get back to defending the, the best offensive player on the opposing team and get going from there. Lead this team. Well, it, it you know, it's a shorter season this year. It's only 72 games. You're seven games in. Um, the team in first place, the 76ers, they're seven and one. Toronto's one and six as we speak today. So maybe, Andy, it, what what is the the number of games that Masai can give this before he has to make a decision? You know, if you're if you're one and six, let's say you get to the 20, the 20 game mark and you have only six or seven wins you know at that point you're already really kind of falling out of the out of the playoff picture and then you have to make a decision what are you what are your aims for this year or are you going to start shaping a roster for the future i I guess my my question for you is can you set a number of games into the season when you start when you know you have to make that decision and move forward from there uh, I mean, one in six is is uh, is a good indicator of that. I, I think you don't have to wait for a particular number. I think that the panic button has already been hit. Um, you know, at the same time, if I see this season as a wash, I look to make moves immediately. You know, I look to see what's on the market. And right now, that that glaring piece is is James Harden, who's out there. You know, I, and I think that if 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 you see this as a down year, you bring in a guy who can solely get you to you know at least a six or seven seed in the playoffs. You know, no matter who's around him, you give up some pieces that, you know, in the long term, you know, might be beneficial for you. You know, who knows about Pascal's upside right now? A lot of people are questioning, you know, his his mental and and, uh, you know, how much he can really produce as the guy in the league. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys who have pretty significant contracts who have been pretty underwhelming. Um, so I might look to blow this thing up. You know, championship teams don't don't you know, some of the pieces have already been shipped away. 
uh, you know, that core group will never be the same again. So uh, now is as good a time as ever, especially not being home, um, you know, to try to regenerate that fan base and, and kind of bring in a, a superstar that will, you know, you can ultimately build around going forward. So I, I would I would look to rebuild now as opposed to wait till later and, and try to figure it out when the ship's already, ship's already sinking. Ah, life comes at Raptors fans fast. Golly. Hey, somebody's got to be divisive, you know. Not everybody can kiss the Raptors' ass all day. I, I'm, I'm with Andy here, Shep. I, I mean, you make the decision now. Can you actually get a trade for James Harden? Okay, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you have enough that Houston would take. If Houston would take Pascal Siakam for James Harden, yeah. They're not going to go straight up. You have to look at a slew well, yeah, of first-round yeah, picks. Yeah, make things map for sure. But Andy, you're right. You you bring you put Harden on any team, they're they're getting a playoff spot automatically, they're, especially in the no East. Doubt. No doubt. But you also know that Harden's going to walk as soon as his contract allows. I I don't think it's at the end of this year. I think it's at the end of next year. But you bring in Harden, you make the playoffs this year and next, and then in two years you have nothing. But that is a decision that I would respect. But the other decision is if you don't bring in Harden, if you don't even go for, say, even DeMar DeRozan, you know, I would trade Siakam for DeRozan straight up right now if that, if that was on the table. But if, if you don't make a move to bring in really a top-flight scorer, you do have to make a move to blow it up with an eye to draft picks, cap space, and the future. And that would mean shipping off Kyle Lowry to a contender. And I and, think this is, this is the worst place to be in as an organization or even from a from a front office standpoint and a culture standpoint because it's a gray area. Are we competing? Are we contending for a, a, a championship? Or are we are we developing? And if we're anywhere in between, it's like, what are you doing? So it's a, it's a really tough yeah. place to be in, and, yeah. and there's no... You well, know, you, you, but Shep, it's it's just an organizational decision, and quite frankly, they made this decision in in 2012 or t- or probably 2013, 2014. They were going to trade Kyle Lowry to the Knicks and really reset, and the Knicks opted out, and then it, it went the other way. But you're right; it it a dis- it's a tough, tough decision. But I think they're going to have to make it, and they're going to have to make it really in the next three or four weeks. No, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see, we'll see. Let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. If these guys can rally together, then that'll give a you know, a glimmer of hope. But if not, then yeah, you have to make a you have to make a shift. And I think you actually have to do that before the team actually comes back to playing in Toronto. Um sure. I don't think it's something you wait for. For sure. Well I, I, I yeah. sorry, AR, go ahead. Uh, I'm just going to say at the end of the day, the NBA is a business. You know, I think that as much as we love our Toronto Raptors, we love the fact that it feels like family and loyalty at the end of the day, it's about business. So, you know, if the numbers are going down, if they, if they foresee that this franchise is sinking, you know, they're going to do anything necessary to try to stay afloat and get back to that championship caliber. So uh, yeah, like, like Shep alluded to, this is a, the worst position as a, as a front, uh, front office, you know, managerial position you could be in, but uh, I think we have to have a little faith in Masai and Bobby as, as we have in the past, and, and that they'll make the right decision for the for the organization. Or should we? Because they 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 are or they themselves we? aren't signed our signed. Or should off, they bring right? in Andy Robbins and Javon Shepard? Right? Now, now you're talking. You this know? Now you're talking. Is what I'm trying to get to here. I I'm more interested in seeing the moves that the Ottawa Blackjacks are about to make. In the, in the coming weeks and months. I mean, we're only four months away from the tip-off of the CEBL season, so I, I'm far more invested in what Shep and AR are going to do. Hey, guys, we, we got a, we got a couple of minutes left. Why don't we um, – let's let's talk about some surprises early in the year. You know, we're, we're eight games in, but you, you do start to see some trends develop. Why don't we do uh, Eastern Conference this week, and next week we'll do Western Conference – AR, let, let's start it with you. Um, what's your what's your biggest surprise in the East thus far? Thus far, uh, I, I, I'm surprised by the Charlotte Hornets, I would say. You know, I don't think their record indicates what type of team they're going to be thus far. Uh, I watched them play Atlanta last night. The way they moved the ball with fluidity, uh, you know, guys were getting to their spots. But they seem to have a good chemistry, obviously. You know, they have a, a, a new pieces that they're trying to get used to in Gordon Hayward. But, 
you know, he's proving he's at an elite level right now. You know, he dropped 45 points the other night. Um, LaMelo Ball is coming out and playing as good as any of the rookies. I think he's been super impressive uh, to see how he's grown from the first game. Uh, and he's out there, you know, he's, he's going to start averaging almost 25 to 30 minutes a night. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But, you know, Devontae Graham is going to be the stud that he is. And I think that, you know, Terry Rozier, with that with that lineup alone, I think they have the the, the talent. And, uh, you know, if they can stay on the same page and carry that chemistry with the way they were moving the ball last night throughout the season, I think they're going to be a dangerous team. And, and they'll probably sneak into that 7-8 spot uh, for the playoffs. Interesting. It's it's assistant coach Nathaniel it's Mitchell. It's Nat Mitchell, man. We have to give him all the credit. <laughs> a, a friend of this show and a former guest. Shat- and I, what, and, and what? I was also one to say in previous episodes that I didn't think Charlotte would advance anywhere. Right. So I, I'll be the first one to admit that I, I've changed my tune on that. Yep. Shep, man, Shep, yeah, n- never tell on yourself. <laughs> Shep, who, what's um, your surprise in the East? You know what? I think my biggest surprise is, is New York. And, and again, it's early in the season, but the fact that they're five and three right now, when you're looking at their roster, uh, we mentioned it earlier as well. This is not a talented group at all by any measure. And then, I, you know, the bulk of their, their roster is made up of guys that have, have, haven't lived up to their true potential, right? Net, net, oh, um, Dennis Smith, Nerland Noels, these guys have just, you know, have, have sort of quote unquote fell off in a sense. So, um, you know, to see, you know, those guys revitalizing their career over there and the fact that Tibbs has come in and really, you know, held guys accountable and, you know, you're seeing the, the turnaround already is, is impressive to me. And then you have Julius Randle. I, I think he's, the reality is, you know, especially here in Canada, a lot of people have a conversation about RJ Barrett, you know, Mamba, Canadian Mamba and so forth. But that team is Randle's team. Um, you know, his his combination of size, you know, the fact that he has touch around the basket, he can shoot it a bit. And now um, with Tibbs' emphasis on moving the basketball, he's you know, creating and creating for himself, creating for others. So it's, you know, he's a nightmare coming in, a mismatch nightmare every night. So I, I think they're my biggest surprise. Um but I, I like what I'm seeing over there. I think finally there's there's some hope. There's a, a light at the end of the tunnel over there with, uh, you know, the years that they've gone through and the, messes, the mess that they've had. I think I think Julius Randle is one of the most underrated players in the league right now. Uh, yeah. You know, just because of the fact that he's on the Knicks. But he's averaging 23, 12, and 7. I mean, those are impressive stats by any measure. Oh, look, in if, fact, I think, I think that lineup there hasn't been – he's in some really good company, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say – He's done that over a stretch of, I don't want to miss, be misquoted, but he's done that over, I don't know, I, I don't want to throw out a random number, but he's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really playing. He's playing out of his mind. Look, if the Knicks make the playoffs this year, Randall's going to get MVP consideration. And if things... Whoa. Well, if the Knicks make the playoffs, man, it's a sign of the times. But you know what? The, the Knicks, look, they got a great coach, and they might make a move. You know, they, maybe the Knicks are the ones who end up later in the season winning the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes, and then you're looking at you're looking at a definite playoff team there with the Knicks. Um, Side note, speaking of MVPs, are you guys still high on Doncic as, as MVP? Early season? Not, as, not as high as I was. He's off to a slow start. I just, I just wanted to hear it. This is all I want to hear. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's still yeah. in. Ask Vegas. Ask Vegas if they're still high on him. I I, um, I I just want to rub it in. I just want to rub it in. Go ahead. Hey, Paul George is in the discussion for MVP again. I mean, it's it's pretty. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy early three weeks. I'm going to quickly tell you guys uh, my quick my surprise in the East is the 76ers. Uh, I think we knew they'd be better. We knew that Doc Rivers uh, was you know the man they needed in charge. Um, and they have had a bit of an easy schedule, but that they have shown a concentration, a focus on improving this year. Embiid is playing more minutes than he ever has before. And Seth Curry, I mean, he, he's he's he could talk about MVP. He could be in the most improved player uh, category by by the end of the season. So I, I think the Sixers are really showing something in the East, and I'm a little bit surprised by it. Um, we are going to wrap up the show. Uh, special thanks to our guest, Eddie Johnson, uh, from the Phoenix Suns broadcast. Uh, it was really cool of him to join us, especially pretty early in the morning out there in Arizona. 
Make sure to catch his uh, weekly show at 4 p.m. on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, big shout out to our brilliant producer, Mr. Dan Wong, uh, at Dan Wong Says on Twitter and social media. Uh, Shep is on Twitter and Instagram, and he's on Instagram. Find them, find Jim Rats and Joints, and uh, thank you for checking out our show today. Uh, we will be back with another episode of this podcast next week. Until then, for everybody, this is DG out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 